Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Sorry to bother you. Excellent lunch. Here we, uh, we're having a little... Uh, we're honoring some people today that... Uh, I would say the reason we are here today is because of them. So uh, I'd like to invite uh, Van Christou and Terry Shillington to come up, and they have been with the organization a lot longer than me. So I like them to come up and uh, pay tribute to Gordon and Sylvia Campbell, who is here today. Uh, they are moving to Vancouver. They're they're tired of a bit of politics, so they're moving to uh, to uh, Vancouver, BC. I don't know if it's going to get any better or not, but uh, they'll find out. So Van Christo is going to say a few words first, and then Terry is going to follow up. And uh, in the end, uh, we hope to have Gordon up here to uh, spread his wisdom for the last time uh, in Lethbridge, maybe since he's moving. Good afternoon, everyone. It's no secret that the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs is the result over, the, over these four decades, more than four decades, of a lot of work from a lot of volunteers. Many people in this room have been, have been part of that picture. However, I having had the privilege of being at the very first organizational meeting of, of, of SACPA, um, I can say unequivocally that it was the vision and the enthusiasm and the tenacity of one person who made this uh, organization possible, and that's our good friend Gordon Campbell. Gordon and his wife Sylvia came to Lethbridge in the early days when the University of Lethbridge was just forming. Gordon and his contemporaries put together a faculty of education which in a surprisingly short time became a model and, and raised the bar for, for excellence of, of, of uh, uh, university uh, programs for teaching teachers in all of Canada. Uh, it was due to the work of Gordon and, and his contemporaries that that happened. And, uh, of course, it's a tremendous tribute to a young and, and fledgling university like the University of Leth Lethbridge. Um, Gordon and Sylvia, during that time, raised four children. And uh, Sylvia, for many years, was a teacher at the Lethbridge Collegiate Institute, and uh, where she both uh, presented classes and counseling, uh, you might not know that our speaker last week, um, uh, Michael uh, Byers, was a student of, of, of uh, Sylvia's, and he attributes much of his success as an international labor lawyer to her teaching and counseling. Um, but without uh, going any further into the great accomplishments of this couple, I'd like to call on Terry to continue. Well, I'm a Terry come lately, but uh, I arrived 24 years ago, and before I 
could say Gordon Campbell, I had been recruited first to be a moderator and eventually I wound up chairing the board. But I came to appreciate that the reason uh, this organization had survived these years and with a high high standard of excellence was by and large through Gordon's tenacity and his vision. And Gordon was an unpaid staff person for most of those years. If we wanted a cabinet minister, Gordon would get on the phone and make the call and... uh, with surprising success. So um, without being long-winded, I just want to acknowledge that we've survived and thrived uh, because Gordon gave endless hours and sometimes lived with criticism. You can't please everybody. Uh, But the tremendous force of personality in this guy and passion for what we have here, which is public debate and respect for one another's opinion. So, um, So I'm just very thankful to have lived in the same community as Gordon and Sylvia. As, as an expression of our gratitude to Gordon and Sylvia, may I ask you all to please stand for one minute. Uh, Gordon and Sylvia, uh, we would like you to know how much we appreciate the great contribution, the, the gifts that you have left, left this community. And we'd also like to know that we're going to miss you And finally, I'd like to express on behalf of all of us our wish to you for a very happy and lengthy uh, uh, life with your children and your grandchildren in Vancouver. All the best. Gordon, would you like to come up here? Gordon, on behalf of the whole room and probably others, there's a little card that everybody has signed uh, to keep as a momentum of this... uh, momentous event today. It is a momentous event. And I'd like you to uh, spread a little bit of wisdom to us from uh, from you. You have no idea the joy in my heart to see you. Weekly, this large audience of 70 or so every week coming to debate issues of social importance in our community. In the early days, we felt it essential that a growing community, a lively community that was founding a university and a college and was going places with people, we had to have an independent forum, an honest independent forum, not linked to any institution, not linked to any ideology, any church, any institution, even the university. And at one point, the university wanted to fire one of our people, and the board came with no question at all to see the president and explain their position, and he was quickly restored. No intervention has been followed, I think, by the university since then. They are, they are terrifically supportive of, of us. The community is supportive. And I, I, I have to tell you that I, I supported Sylvia when she ran for the, the provincial legislature. And uh, she asked me not to support her anymore because I talked too much at the door. <laughs> It's true, but I don't know why she was 
why she was so judgmental. <laughs> so it's, it's lovely to see uh, 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 the, the chair of this organization, who's, who's not only liked but loved by so many of you. He's careful in his, in his work and his help for people to express themselves honestly and independently and thoroughly, and dealing with the tough issues, too. And I, I praise him for what, what has been done. And Van and so many of you who put your shoulder behind the, the force, whatever the force was at that time. So we have a, a constant debate chamber to go. And I'm looking forward to the day when Mr. Prentice will come, because we need to get at that gentleman <laughs> and, uh, and let him know a few things of importance, importance in our community. And this is a good place to do that. So I feel so humble, so... I feel so thankful and grateful that a country like ours, a city like ours, people like ours, are able to discuss issues of fierce importance in the community, honestly, independently, openly, and progressively, I hope. And uh, I'm proud of the sophistication that we have in this community and in the country. Uh, we're known quite across the country for, for this organization. And it's wonderful to me as an adult educator that sees 70 people or 80 every week, every week, come out to discuss the powerful way, honest and open way, the issues of our day. I thank Van and, and all of you who have been so open and supportive of me in the years when I was, early days, I was ranked a communist and a horrible communist, too. You know, he talks too much. <laughs> so we got over that, and, uh, and we were accepted. And others were accepted with us. So we always had a group that would be supportive. And I'm grateful to be with that group, the community, the support they've given Sylvia and her various ventures that we do together. So thank you so much. I feel blessed and honored, and I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Gordon. Uh, we will definitely endeavor to, to keep up the good work around here. I should also mention that uh, Gordon and Sylvia, they were both honored last night at the NDP nomination meeting uh, in, at the uh, Italian Hall. Uh, they have been very supportive of, of fair fairness in this community, not only politically speaking, but all kinds of other endeavors, uh, Friends of Medicare, and yeah, I could go on and on, but thank you very much, Gordon. We'll keep up the good work.
Audio recordings available as a podcast. We also have a suggestion box placed in the lobby if you have suggestions for future sessions. We are going to invite Lisa back up to take your questions. Please keep your opening comments brief in the interest of getting as many questions in as possible. Uh-oh, the historian comes after me. <laughs> now I'm worried. Is it on? Okay. No, I, I come to to ask for your wisdom. Oh, dear. Don't worry about that. I'm not going to attack any. I'm Malcolm Greenshield. And uh, were you ever in my class? A little closer, I were think. Were you in my class? No. No, Okay. Uh, there are two things I just wanted to ask you about because I'm not that familiar with the Alberta traditions. And I read two things which I don't know whether they're true of one of Alberta, which is it's one of the few legislatures in the Commonwealth that does not have opposition members on its committees. Is that is that true? Yeah, I'll expand on that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And the other one was uh, that I just read recently was that Canada has extraordinarily strong party discipline uh, compared to most other uh, settled Western democracies. Is that also... Correct on both. Oh, yeah. thank you. Oh, I, I passed. Thank you. <laughs> you pa- yeah, 100%. Uh, I'll, I'll expand a little bit. So Canada has um, particularly strong party discipline, um, much more so than the United Kingdom. One of the theories about why that is, is I want, if you haven't already disagreed with everything I've said, this might be the time in which you're going to say, I've had it with her. I'm completely out. Um, Part of the reason might be that we don't have enough politicians in Canada. Uh, and here's the here's the argument behind that. In the UK, um, it's actually quite unlikely that you will become a cabinet minister. Smaller cabinets, much larger number of people, over 600 elected, right? In Canada, with only 308, um, with 154 on the government side, uh, you know, to, to make a majority, uh, and a cabinet of 40 people, you have a pretty good chance. Uh, and you, uh, especially if there's any kind of alternation in the cabinet, uh, you've got a pretty good chance. If you're a woman, you've got a higher chance. Um, if you're from any kind of minority group, um, particularly in the conservatives, you've got a really good chance. Um, and so the fact that um, party uh, party discipline then is stronger in, in that kind of a setting because people want to progress their careers. So in order to progress their career to a cabinet position, they must toe the party line. In the UK, you have um, backbenchers frequently voting against the party. They don't have the same kind of party discipline, and that's because uh, most backbenchers in the UK are not going to be on cabinet. They don't have a chance of it. Um, and so one of the suggestions by um, David Doherty, um, a political scientist, has been to double the number of MPs. Now everyone's going, Bleh. Um So it potentially 
more people would actually be better. And in fact, in, in uh, provincial legislatures, um, in the last 10 or 15 years, we've actually reduced the number of politicians often. We've, we've reduced the size. Uh, we have slightly expanded at the federal level, but nowhere near what the numbers that Doherty is talking about. Your first question, though, about um, opposition on, on um, committees, uh, Alberta is certainly an outlier in this. There was a period of time where there was essentially no functioning committee that had so there was committees that would have an opposition member on it, but they hadn't met for 18 years, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so, the, you know, I'm saying functioning committee as like some, a committee that actually has ever met. Um, so <clears throat> there were, there, uh, were mostly, uh, uh, committees that had, uh, only caught, only ca government caucus on them. That did change slightly with, uh, Stelmec and Redford, um, but not a great deal. So we, we are still bad, but we're nowhere near as bad as we were under Klein. Thank you, Lisa, for a terrific presentation. Uh, Ruth Alzinga, um, you gave some uh, four, I think, four re reasons. I did say my name, Ruth Alzinga. Ruth Alzinga. Um, you had given some reasons why you felt she crossed the floor. And I'm going to ask you a question, if you might have omitted one. I read about their Wild Rose Conference in the fall. And I know last year there had been an unfortunate blog that really put the wild rose in poor light. And she had proposed uh, an amendment, apparently, and it fell on its face. And I'll be honest with you. If I was a leader of that party, and I had this group of, I won't be too unkind, but they're very stubborn, fundamental, not that loving people, and I might not just want to be associated with Wild Rose anymore. And when you said, how can you determine the quality of a person in so many days, I can do it very quickly. Well, that, that's an interesting question, Ruth. And I would say if, I mean, I've met Danielle on two occasions. So we're not bosom buddies. She doesn't phone me for advice. But let's say she'd phoned me for advice. And she said to me, I've got this really problematic extra-parliamentary party. So we've decided as a party caucus, a parliamentary party, to almost all leave. I would say, what are you thinking? <laughs> the extra-parliamentary party is not the same thing as the parliamentary party. So she decimated the parliamentary party with nine of them leaving, plus if we want to add the other two. So we've got 11 of the 17 at one point. Uh, you know, decimating the, the parliamentary party because they couldn't get along with the extra parliamentary party. So I think we have to really, if she would have asked me that question, I would have said to her, um, Danielle, you're the party leader. Um, do politics and bring people into the party that you like and get things passed at plenary that you like and do it the way that parliamentary leaders do that. So I, I think it's a bit of a cop-out on her part to say, oh, my party left me. Um, and she, she only said that in a couple of occasions. She felt like they were sort of, you know, a little bit problematic. But she, she took 11 of the 17, or 16 at that point, sitting members. So she took most of the party with her, and they took most of their staff with them. So I don't know exactly why she couldn't have just stayed and not really worried about the extra-parliamentary party. My name is Knut Peterson. Um, welcome back, Lisa. Nice to have you up on the stage. Thank you. I'm really worried about your question, Knut. They're always hard. No, don't be worried. 
I'm just uh, wondering if you could speculate on there must have been some people in within the Conservative Party that wasn't thrilled, if I may use that word, with the Wild Rose joining. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, their chances of being in cabinet just went down. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess there's a number of those uh, parliamentary members that should probably be a little bit worried. Um, I would suspect that there's a number of people that um, would be a little upset. I mean, um, candidates for the Progressive Conservative uh, Party in a number of ridings are now going up against, uh, you know, sitting members that crossed. Um, there's there's probably a number of people who are not particularly happy with this. The Wild Rose Party, especially in the 2012 election against Redford, uh, were, were very harsh about conservatives. And now they're sitting around the caucus table with them. And I think, you know, feelings can run deeply. And so some of those caucus members may be looking uh, across the table saying, you said really terrible things about the people in my party. And... Um, not sure everything can be forgiven. They, and there's certainly a division now between Kerry Toll and uh, Danielle Smith. That was obvious right from the beginning, too. I mean, two former caucus friends, two fr- friends, and now uh, not on speaking terms, apparently. Uh, Lisa, Art Sanford, and um, I always think of blood, politics as sort of a blood sport. I've uh, won four elections in this city, and that's one of the tough parts of the job that I never enjoyed. Running, serving was great. Uh, one comment, though, I, I find interesting. When you go back a couple of years and Anderson and Forsyth left the PCs and crossed over to the Reform, or to the Wild Rose, all we heard was virtually nothing on the one side and a little bit of cheering from the Wild Rose. Then move on a couple of years, and you see the, exactly the opposite with Kerry Towell and Donovan crossing, and you'd have thought the world fell apart. How do you explain the difference? Moving from one side was fine, but going the other way wasn't. Well, if we remember the condition of the party when Anderson and Forsyth left it to go to the Wild Rose, Wild Rose was small and insignificant. Um, they were leaving a government caucus that was strong and very significant. Um, I think it's similar to the effect that a, a mosquito bite has on an elephant. Um, not a lot. I mean, I don't think that the government caucus really cared all that much that they lost those two. They were probably pushing Forsyth out anyhow. Um, so she, there's not really a big surprise. And the, the government caucus didn't really care. Um, and they were going to a party that was insignificant. Um, it's a little bit different when um, a group go from the opposition to government. Um, and that crossing seems to um, cause people more consternation. They, they can believe at some level, the public can believe at some level, that someone may leave a party uh, for principle, as Anderson and, and uh, Forsyth said they did. Um, but they have more trouble believing that they go to a government for principle. And so the... Um, the expectation is that Anderson may be um, receiving some sort of benefit. Now, Anderson's an interesting case because, of course, he was not only House leader, he was the um, chairman of the Public Accounts Committee. Now, only recently in Alberta have we allowed the opposition member to chair the Public Accounts Committee, the most important committee in the structure. 
Um, every other province has done this forever. Um, but um, the, the Anderson was the chair of that public accounts committee. And so until December 10th, he was sitting in meetings um, scrutinizing government spending and then seven days later walked across. So I think he hasn't really been accused of that a whole lot, but he needs to be. He needs to be more accused of, of his, where his mindset was in the weeks uh, prior to his crossing. Uh, it's really only been Smith that's been skewered in the public, but I think Anderson, I mean, Anderson says he's had death threats, but he, he hasn't really been skewered in the same way that Smith has. Lisa, thank you very much for a great presentation. <clears throat> However, uh, <laughs> I thought you rolled the NDP into this uh, cr uh, party p criticism very glibly. Uh, I'm not aware of a provincial policy, but at the federal level, I think the NDP asks uh, uh, crossovers to sit as independents until the next election. And that would seem to me to be a happy compromise. And what I missed in your presentation was any advocacy on behalf of voters who, who – uh, 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 yes, parties, uh, they don't elect parties, but, but your party standing indicates which direction you want to go. And I didn't hear you say that parties or, or voters have a right uh, to expect some follow-through and some integrity uh, from a person who presents a certain platform to the voters. Um, so back to the NDP. They do have a party policy at the federal level not to accept um, crossers. So they have someone right now who's effectively sitting as an NDP, but not sitting as an NDP in the caucus until she runs again. She was a Bloc Québécois that crossed. Um, so that's a party policy. Where I take issue with the end, and I have no problem with people having party policies. I don't care. Parties are independent. They're, they're voluntary organizations. I don't care what they do. They could, they could have a foot race for who's their leader. I don't care. Um, but what, what I care about is what, um, how they translate that party policy into federal legislation. So an NDP member um, whose name completely escapes me um, at the federal level has introduced Motion 316, which is a law, uh, a, a private member's bill, to try to um, make his party's policy a piece of legislation in, in Canada, meaning that they would not be allowing party defections. And I think that's a problem. So that's where I take issue with the NDP is you can have the policy all you want. Don't make legislation uh, that makes that be enforceable. That's a party rule. It has nothing to do with legislation. To the question of um, whether or not uh, voters need to be protected from things, look, um, people do all sorts of things after they're elected. We don't have much of a fit when our elected member becomes a speaker. And when they become the speaker, they are no longer partisan. They're not working on our behalf. Okay, so it's it's one example of many in which um, we we can see changes uh, from the person who we elect. So when the speaker runs, he runs as a member of a party, and then as soon as he's there and, and elected as speaker, he's now no longer a partisan. So that we have within our system the ability to accommodate that kind of thing. Hi, Lisa. Francis Schultz, thank you so much for an excellent presentation. I'm going back to the issues of Danielle Smith. She is being skewered in her, particularly in her community. So I, my question is, I'm sure she's going to run again, and we can be looking at a, an election within months, possibly. Uh, do you think she will run and get elected in 
High River, or is she going to move to a new constituency? <laughs> well, again, though I would take Danielle's call for advice, she doesn't make it to me. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, here's the here's the evidence: most people who cross the floor and run again win. So. Um, I don't think that she would suffer a great deal. Um, should she win the nomination, she will win the seat. So the real question is whether she can win the nomination and whether there's some um, underground group within the uh, conservatives that would like nothing more than for her to not, which I don't know of, but I can only suspect exists, um, and will work very hard to ensure she's not nominated. So. I think that's her biggest barrier will be the nomination. And, um, and Rob Anderson has, has uh, declined to uh, run again uh, for a nomination, probably because he's done enough internal polling. But, you know, you look at some of these, um, these writings. A number, I looked over all of the people who crossed in the Wild Rose. There was only a couple of them that were really decisive wins. These were, these were squeakers. So um, if, if the Wild Rose Party is all but decimated across the province and isn't riding a big wave and has a leader like, God help us, Rob Anders, who said he's going to run for the leadership. So if the Wild Rose has that as a setup, um, they're of no threat to progressive conservatives. So any of these people running as progressive conservatives will win. Hi, Anning Mundell's my name. Actually, your last sentence answered my question. So I'll only do my aside preamble. Uh, you're, I, I was going to ask about looking into the future. Um, but perhaps you could comment on that uh, last statement in view, whether the election is held in the next few months or whether it's held in 2016, whether you would the same scenario. I just want to make a little comment about your emphasis on the Her Majesty's loyal opposition. Sure, why not? Why not a, a, an opposition led by Daniel Smith who feels that it was um, her mandate to bring the government down, to sort of paraphrase backwards, when, after all, at the federal level, we used to have Her Majesty's loyal opposition in the form of the Bloc Québécois, which was there to tear down the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's actually been some very interesting writing about whether the speaker made the wrong decision on choosing the Bloc Québécois as, the, as Her Majesty's loyal opposition in that election. Um, Her Majesty's loyal opposition is not uh, something that's chosen strictly based on the seats. Um, the progressives declined to become the, the um, when they were offered that, right? Uh, they declined because they, they didn't want to do that. Um, I think that uh, there's some argument that the speaker should not have offered the bloc that, that opportunity and that the, um, that the other uh, second, third party should have been offered that. Um, so it's, it's not a guarantee that the second place party should be um, the, Her Majesty's loyal opposition. It is up to the Speaker. And we saw this weird little dance that happened um, when there was five Wild Rose and there was five Liberals and there was this big discussion. And Jean Zwozdeski said he spent 130 hours making this dis decision. And I thought, really? Because I would have taken me about 22 minutes to do the background on that. Just choose, like the, you choose who's ever in right now. Unless there's some really big reason why you shouldn't choose them. They, the precedent goes. 
Um, so I think I've gotten off topic of what your, your question was. Your other, your other part of your question, though, was around an election. Uh, we're certainly going to have an election. I'm almost prepared to say certainly 100%, but I'll say certainly 99%. And the reason I would say that is because all progressive conservative nominations have to be completed by the end of March. That kind of gives you a call. I mean, I think the election gets called, the writ gets dropped in the end of March. We have an election at the end of April. Oh, it, this legislature won't go to 2016. No, no, no. No, it, it may be spring, it may be summer but it will, of 2015, but it's not going to go past. Uh, Mary Shillington, thanks, Lisa. It was fun to have you standing up there and with your sense of humor and playfulness. I appreciated that as well as the information. Uh, coming from the Leftbridge East nomination, uh, NDP nomination meeting last night in which one of our people here, Maria Fitzpatrick, is our our candidate for the next provincial election. Uh, uh, it makes me curious, what's your, what are you hearing uh, about who might be running for the Wild Rose and the uh, Conservatives in East? Uh, Art Sanford has some, had some input. Uh, he thinks that all the nominations have to be in by the 17th, I think you said, Art, wasn't it? Yeah, the 17th of March. So... Uh, uh, for the Wild Rose, that's what they've said? No, uh, Conservatives, PCs. Oh, for the PC, yeah. yeah. Okay. But so the other parties can nominate whenever they want. Yes, yes. But w have you any insight or any inside knowledge about who might be running for the Wild Rose or the Conservatives? Shockingly, again, they don't call me. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one seems to want to talk to me, even my mother. I, she's sitting over there sort of rolling her eyes. I'm not sure she'll even walk out with me, so... Um, no, no idea. And um, the one name that was being um, that was being considered or talked about, Farinellis, he has. Um, I think he belie I believe he used the term "put it on hold" or something like that. He put his nomination on hold. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know that we're. Uh, I don't know that we have any names. Perhaps Art Sanford would know much better than I would. He's obviously got the inside line on that one. They talked to him, I guess, not me. So, no. Amy Dodick. Uh, this uh, question may be a bit big for the scope of your talk, but what do Albertans have to do to reform what happens at legislature? It's obvious that the party in power is not going to make those democratic reforms. So how do we Albertans make it happen? Oh, wow. I've got about a minute. So that's, uh, <laughs> I can probably, <laughs> I might take two minutes to do that one. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, it would really break down to, to two things. Either we change the system or we expect more of our system. So we could change the electoral system, the whole legislative system. We could have a system of proportional representation, parties much more involved, much more engaged uh, in that way. Um, I'm not sure that that would have all of the intended consequences that we want, that we're looking for. Um, whenever we change system things, we have unintended consequences. Uh, second way to do it is to demand more of our current system. And so I gave you some um, of the evidence about what I think Klein and his, his kind um, did to undermine the legislature. And I think as 
as Albertans, we need to take back many of those things. We need to reject things like a parallel system like the EUB and say those things need to be decided in Parliament, in, in the legislature. We need to expect and demand that the most important address from the government comes at the speech from the throne, not the fireside chat on CTV. Though I love CTV, um, I would like to see those things happen in the speech from the throne. We need to demand that the legislature be the heart of debate, and we need to encourage debate. So I'm so pleased to have been able to do this talk today um, when, when we recognize Gordon and Sylvia's contributions to the creation of SACPA, because it's organizations like this that have, that demand public debate of things and enjoy conflict because we do enjoy conflict here, um, that we enjoy conflict gives the government some um, pause when they say that we all have to be pulling in the same direction because oil is $48 a barrel. So we, we need to really put the, the pressure back on, on uh, all members of the Legislative Assembly. It would be nice if people voted more, but I don't know that that's necessarily nece needed. I mean, we could do it with poor turnout too, uh, you know. Um, maybe that's another a talk for another day. Doesn't matter how many people turn out. So, uh, so I think that probably wraps me up. So I'll turn it back to uh, to you. Just like to say thank you very much, Lisa, for an excellent discussion. Thank you, everybody, for coming and for your questions.